Well, hey there, sweet peas. Welcome back to Friendless, the only show that tries to teach you how to be a better friend while I lose every friend I have. I'm your host, James Avramenko, back with a brand new update. A little guy, I think is what I was calling them, to celebrate a very, very special day. It's my birthday! Or it will be in a couple days after this episode comes out, but um, it just didn't line up with the Tuesdays, so you just just go along with it, okay? It's my birthday week. It's my birth week, okay? Uh, I am a Virgo, and I deserve some respect. Um, that's one thing I've been noticing lately. People hate Virgo season, and I am not here for it. I cannot abide this Virgo uh, undermining this, this, um, this, this unfounded and unearned reputation for people hating August. August is a fabulous month. Okay. Um, yes. Is it too hot? Obviously. Yes. Um, if you are of a certain age, are you about to go back to school? Sure. Um, um, everybody else, did you not get a summer break? And so you just worked through the whole thing and you're just reminded that time is forever rolling forward and you're only getting older and you never will get back that freedom or the the, the joy that you once felt as a child getting summer holidays? Sure. But I was born, so that's pretty good. <laughs> Um, I have been away a little bit. I had to take some time away from some creative product projects while I um, kind of recentered myself and uh, processed some of the the big, big things that were happening in my life. But I am back, and I am officially dubbing this episode one, maybe more like episode point five, uh, preview episode of season six. You know, the seasons are a bit of an arbitrary demarcation of the show. Um, I realize that they don't actually run uh, at any kind of lucid pace or measurement, uh, nor do they have any kind of flow or follow through. This is not HBO. <laughs> I, I, I like to think that it's sort of like an NBC sitcom. You know, this was this was um, really big in like 1996, back before we had prestige television and. There was just the need to have content every Friday night, right? Uh, and so you got a lot of fillers. You know, there's a lot of a lot of episodes of um, Steve Urkel has blown up something this time, and Mr. Winslow is not impressed. <laughs> wow, I'm really, really selling you on the show. Um, well, I have been away, and I am back. We already covered that. And uh, I wanted to just give a bit of an update to listeners about where I've been, what I've been up to, lessons I've learned, what the last year has been like, and also kind of look ahead and talk about the plan for the show, what I've got cooking, uh, and what you can expect to hear. Um, I'm also going to be introducing a couple new segments to the show that I'm going to be uh, kind of piloting with this episode. The big one being questions and answers. I, I couldn't come up with um, a better title for it, but I thought if I just said it really, really dramatically, that would kind of change things, right? You know, everybody's like, "Oh, I'd like a, I'd like a, you know, to talk to the audience or QA sessions or something," you know. So I just, you know, I kind of want to do like a pigs in space kind of thing, you know, um, questions and answers. <sighs> 
I'm out of practice. I'm sorry. Um, I asked for uh, listener questions over on Instagram, and I've got a couple on hand that I'm going to answer. They are a ton of fun. Um, and uh, I guess I'll just say now, I'm sure I'll repeat myself again, but uh, if you have questions for me, please feel free to um, um, fire them my way. I've got a little pinned story on my Instagram, so uh, it's just an ongoing thing um, if you have any questions for me. But... Let's get to the real heart of the episode, the reason for the season, my birthday. Yes, I am turning 36 this week. I am officially in my mid-30s. I'm almost in my late 30s. That's a trip. I don't know how to feel about any of that. I remember being younger and being convinced that I was going to be this like roguish, devil-may-care, rock star, poet whatever celebrity and i was going to be dead and join the 27 club and and i would never have to worry about falling arches and heartburn and indigestion and hair on my back and my in my ears and and i would just leave a, a wayfish but still somehow attractive corpse and now here i'm staring down the barrel of 40 and I'm loving it. You know, um, aging is an absolute privilege. It's, 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 I don't think people realize what an honor it is to get to live and get to age. Um, when we're young, I know for myself, you know, when I was young, I didn't realize what an experience it was to, to, get to 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 live and get to age and and i thought i knew it all already you know i'd listened to one bob dylan song and i'd read a couple chuck polanuck books so i obviously understand understood the world and and every year that passes one thing that really strikes me is that i don't forget things this is something that that maybe it's a neurodivergent thing maybe it's an everybody thing but one thing i've really re- realized is that as, as i age i just i don't forget stuff um all that happens is I grow the capacity to live more. And, and, and I think that's one of the most beautiful elements of aging is that you are, you are given the, the luck of the draw to get another day, another week, another year, and, and create more experiences and create more memories that you can just add to this, this repertoire, this, this album of, of experiences. And, and when you're young, you think that, all that it's going to be is just fun and and you never want pain and you never want suffering and you never want discomfort because um why would you want that but then you realize that that's inevitable and and you you live through these experiences and they hurt like hell but they they make you so much richer as a person you know it's it's not the perfections that make someone in, interesting it's the imperfections I think I was playing. I think this was. I was playing like Mortal Kombat 11. I think is what it was uh, the other day. And some character had a line about how nature demands perfection, and and that's not what nature is. You know, if you look at your window, I'm looking at my window right now, and I'm looking at a tree, and there's nothing symmetrical about it. There's nothing perfect about it. But that's what makes it so beautiful. Is that every tree holds its own gnarled bizarre offshoots and and this is a really weak lazy metaphor but it works um you know i'm not interested in a perfect life i'm interested in an interesting life and 
interesting things come out of living and out of experience. And not every experience is going to be um, soft and gentle and enjoyable. Um, if I've learned anything through therapy, it's that um, you know not every feeling is bad. In fact, no feeling is bad. Um, um, anger is just as good an impulse or or energy or feeling as as joy. And in fact, joy isn't a good feeling. Um, it's just that we societally decide which emotions are more comfortable for us to be around. And so we then internalize, well, people are more comfortable around us when we're happy. So I have to just be happy in front of people to make them comfortable. Um, this is something I'm learning about, about attachment styles. Um, I'm realizing that my attachment style is far deeper ingrained into um, fawn type than, than I realized. And, and the people-pleasing element of that becomes uh, a really exhausting mask for, for, for me, for my autism. Um, and my therapy has really helped me begin the process of unpacking the fact that there is no good or bad emotion. There is just emotions. And emotions are signals from your body to interpret what's going on outside of it. It's your body telling you, this is what we're perceiving and this is how we think we should probably proceed to deal with the situation. There's no good or bad feeling. There's just feelings. And so when when we try to instinctively lean into only good things or only happiness or only what's comfortable, we actually end up kind of um, stalling out our experience and we actually make ourselves a little bit duller and a little bit more boring. Um, I've noticed, you know, I work from home now um, and I work on Ontario hours. So my work week is Monday to Friday, 6 a.m. to 2 p.m. And um, I have to really actively work to go outside because being inside is comfortable. It's, you know, it's my office. It's my safe space. Um, I also just don't like new environments so it's easy for me to stay inside but that makes me dull it makes me i guess lazier but it's like it makes me less prone to just impulsively go out um and and i feel like that mentality is sort of the the um hermetic representation of what i'm trying to get across which is that comfort isn't what we should be aiming for but um interest <laughs> as i was reflecting on my year um um i i realized that the two most helpful tools that i've developed recently that um i kind of wish i had last year but have since been developing are these two um techniques that i've been working on personally through my therapy and i wrote a little bit about um in this month's newsletter and I wanted to talk a little bit more about them in this episode. Um, one was reframing thoughts, and the other was um, nurturing my inner child. Um, with the reframing thoughts, I'm somebody who has a uh, a very ingrained shame spiral and very impulsive um, thoughts. And so it's really easy for me to just whiplash into always nevers, black and whites. Um, you always do this. I never do that whatever it might be. And and every time I think those thoughts, it it sends me no matter what, even if it's I I'm always good, it it inevitably always sends me into a spiral of paralysis. Because if something is eternal, then it can't be changed and it can't be moved. And and I 
am working so hard to dismantle that internal feeling that has been bred into me from decades of of that 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 thinking and i'm trying really hard to address it within myself one of the one of the sort of tools that we've been working on has been anytime i hear myself say an always or never statement no matter where i am if i'm in conversation even if i'm thinking uh even if i'm thinking it um if i clock it i will immediately stop in the sentence and I will reframe the thought to being more in the moment. So if I'm saying, you always do this, I want to stop and I say, you did this this time. Or I've seen you do this this time, this time. Specificity. Ooh, that's a hard one. Specificity. Um, um, You know, I never becomes, I have had difficulty with this. it's just a way to really gently but mindfully unpack that eternal thinking. Um, and as with so many of these techniques um, that that Scott, my therapist, kind of imparts on me, um, the the effects are almost immediate. Um, I I I feel this lightning um, come off my shoulders. It's like this, this, this weight lifts off my shoulders, um, almost, almost instantaneously. And it doesn't last because nothing lasts, but, um, in that moment it feels really good. And, and it, it sort of gives me the charge to try again the next time. And I fuck up all the time. Um, you know, very often I fuck up. Um, you see what I did there, um, but I I I do my best to clock it when I can, and if I don't, that's okay. But I'll just try again the next time, and um, and yeah, it's just been this incredibly gentle reminder that things don't last, and there can be sadness around that when you're thinking about good things, and there can be joy around that when you're thinking about bad things. But no matter what, everything passes. And and as long as you look at those things as they're happening, if you're angry, you look at that anger and you be with that anger. If you're happy, you look at that happiness and you be with that happiness. Um, and and just enjoy it while you can and process it while you must. <laughs> um, and the other, the other thing is um, reconnecting with my inner child, which... You know, I will admit, I kind of rolled my eyes out a little bit when, you know, I was hearing people talk about it and I was very resistant to it. It felt a little cheesy. It felt a little too new agey for me, um, not realizing that I am like deeply new agey. Um, and also like we need a new age because the old age is killing us. So like, yes, please, let's try some of these things um, because um, our current way is burning the planet down and um, ensuring that only like six middle-aged white men will survive the next decade. So like, yes, actually we should probably lean into the new age. Um, (laughs) But um, after a particularly trying session with Scott, um, he encouraged me to sit down and have a conversation with my inner child. And he told me to tell myself about the things that I had done throughout my life and, and sort of like, get my inner child excited about all the things that I had accomplished rather than punishing myself for all the things that I told myself I should have. And, and I did that. I, I sat down one that same night and I, and I kind of pictured my old bedroom and I saw myself kind of sitting on the bed and, um, 
and I just had a little chat with, you know, little James and I told him about, um, you know, I told him about going to school and I told him about all the jobs I'd had and all the places I'd lived. And, um, and I told him about falling in love and how good that feels and how exciting it is and, and how he's not always alone and he's going to find people who love him and, and sometimes that love is going to move on, but that doesn't mean he wasn't loved and it doesn't mean he isn't loved right now. And, um, it was incredible. It was an incredibly cathartic experience. And I, of course, wept. I mean, just talking about it now, I get like pretty, pretty emotional. Um, and it was such a moving experience that I started doing it every night. Um, and I continue to. So, so every night I've kind of imparted, I, I've created this new ritual where just before I go to bed, I kind of picture myself back in my, in my old bedroom and I, and I just do a little kind of recap of the day and I tell him about good things that happened and bad things that happened. And, and I remind him that he's safe and loved. And, and, um, you know, he asks me questions sometimes about stuff and I do my best to answer him gently. And, um, and it's just, it's become this really beautiful ritual and very calming and very cathartic. And um, it has done an incredible number on the the burden that I didn't realize I carried with me, the, the emotional burden of holding on to the fear and, and the anxiety that I had been holding on to since I was a child, um, you know, growing up with a really unstable mother and, and, and a pretty absent father and, and not having, you know, those, rooted stable connections that i needed as a kid um left me feeling really afraid of the world and and i masked that through years of being you know the class clown and outspoken and goofy and wacky and loud and then coming home and being exhausted and um so i am working through that and it feels really good and i really encourage anyone who who maybe starting down the road to to try that to try that technique of just have a little chat with yourself and um and just be really kind and excited and uh and see what happens for you because it's it's sure helped me so on the topic of season six you know um season five was my proudest season yet. Um, I managed to get guests on that I never thought I'd be able to. I got to interview people who I have just such an admiration for. Jessica Fern, Tork Campbell, my God, you know, um, um, Lauren Melisi, uh, um, um, Brian Ellis, you know, like these writers and these these creators and these just these these professionals, these people who I have such a deep respect for. And all that, you know, not not to mention, you know, Corey Hardiman, Hank Pine, these people who I've just admired for years and and have always wanted to reconnect with. And, and you know, it's one of the things that I remain so grateful for with this show that I have the opportunity to connect with with people all over the world and, and hear their stories and learn about what it means to be a friend to them and and try my best to be that friend to them or to others, you know, to take their lessons and to, and to, and to put them out in the world. It's been an incredibly rewarding experience for me. And, um, I'm so excited to be back and doing it again. Um, I have a ton of interviews booked coming up. I, I put out a call for guests uh, a couple days ago and I had this massive, um, response to it. And so I have like interviews booked like almost every day for the next three weeks. So I'm going to have like months of content recorded ahead of time which is really exciting because my plan is to stick to an every other week 
uh, interview episode um, with then other content mixed in on the off weeks. Um, I have ideas for for um, other writing. I am putting the book on hiatus just because um, the editing process stalled out and I don't want to present it that way anymore. I, I want to go back and do a bit of a teardown of it and present it probably on the Substack or or some other way. But um, there are other filler episodes that I want to do. I have um, lots of topics that I've been planning out um, all about... Um, you know, autism, about um, burnout, maintaining creative practices, um, you know, hobbies, hobbies versus hustles, attachment styles. Um, I've, I've just got all kinds of different uh, topics that I want to talk about that I'm going to be filling in with those uh, little guy episodes. So lots more stuff coming down the pipeline. Um, the first episode is going to be out early September. I'm just sort of popping in with this episode because it's tradition for the birthday week. But uh, I will be going back for another couple weeks off while I sort of round up all the content and get it uh, edited and prepared. Because, you know, as I mentioned, I am trying my best to do not only audio, but video as well. And I am just doing this by myself. This remains a completely independent, completely passion project. I don't have any funding from anything. I'm not attached to a network. This is just me recording stuff on impulse and editing it on my time. So um, I just ask that everybody has some patience and bear with me while I get it all through. Um, there is so much good stuff in the pipeline that I'm so excited to share. So just uh, stick around for that. And now it is time for some community engagement. Um, so I, I wanted to give a tiny update. Um, uh, I'm introducing, speaking of new content, I am going to be moving to a at least bi-weekly, if not hopefully weekly, Substack update. Um, the, the monthly roundup will stay the same, but the other weeks I'm going to be doing um, new content. I'd like to do a uh, culture club, sort of like a book club, but for a little bit more than just books. Um, so I'd like to be doing like a movie club, music club, book club, sort of pick one piece of content a month and then have, um, you know, sort of my discussion points, uh, potentially invite people in to to have a live discussion, whether that's on Discord, whether we record it and put it up as an episode. Um, that's still being fleshed out, but that's going to be out initially on the on the Substack. Um, I also, you know, to encourage some outreach, I, I wanted to put it out to everyone listening. Be a guest on the show. Um, there is a Calendly link in on my Instagram that you can find that um, if you would like to be on Friendless, just fill out that calendar. Uh, uh, find a time that works for you, reach out to me, book it, and uh, let's get you on the show. Even if we've never met, if I don't know anything about you, just book it. I would love to talk to you. I'd love to hear your story. I'd love to hear what you think being a friend means. So um, please reach out, book yourself in, and uh, let's have a chat. And, uh, and, and on that note, let's do some questions and answers. That needs work. Um, I'm I'm still not impressed with that one. But um, um, so we've got six questions this week. Tons of questions. So let's try and get to a few of them. So question number one: If you were a pet, what would you be, and who would you want to own you, and why? And this is a great question. I love this question because um, in the past I have been described as a golden retriever made human form. And um, I've always really loved that description. But 
I don't know that a dog fully works for me because I think a well, as I'm thinking through the characteristics of a dog, I'm like, actually, no, it does work pretty good. And especially a golden retriever because they're very alert and very excitable, but also easily distractible. Um, and they are unconditionally loving and then um, do just like really stupid shit every once in a while um, on impulse. So actually, you know what? That works. <laughs> um, I was thinking more along the lines of I would love to be a rat. I think rats are so incredible. You know, I fostered a rat last year, little Putsky, RIP. Um, love you, little buddy. Um, but um, I I just think rats are so fascinating. They're so much smarter than we give them credit for. And their tiny little thumbs are just the cutest little thing. And their big old nuts are just hilarious. So um, I just, uh, I'm conflicted. I feel like I would want to be a rat but i feel like i would probably be a golden retriever um and then in terms of who would own me um <laughs> i haven't really put enough thought into that one i i i don't know if we get a say in who owns us um and i think that that's the tragedy of life you know as bob dylan once said you're gonna have to serve somebody right um and so i think i would hope that i would be owned by somebody who loved me and nurtured me and understood that when i'm impulsive it's just it's just it's just that it's nothing more and just kind of um gave me a big yard to run around in and lots of chew toys um and uh and and just gave me lots of butt scratches because honestly if you haven't had your butt scratched you're missing out you are missing out question number two is what toys did we not make for current children but should have? And I've been thinking about this one because I'm not really like up to date on what toys are being made this, this, this these days. Um, so like there are toys from my childhood that I remember that I haven't seen come back, but I also don't like I may be totally wrong. They might have brought it back with like a cool new like, you know, sheen of paint or whatever but like one of the things i absolutely loved as a kid obviously was mighty max um and like micro machines um and i remember i remember there was a series of star wars ones um that you know if you're unfamiliar with mighty max it was like it was like a little tiny diorama and it would be like a clamshell case and and because it was for boys it was for totally straight boys who who like guts and monsters because we're straight boys and we don't push sexuality on children no because straight is normal <laughs> straight's not a sexuality it's just normal <laughs> Sorry, um, but it would be like a cool zombie head or a skeleton or a Frankenstein or something. And then you open it up and there'd be tiny little figurines and there'd be Mighty Max with his cool backwards hat and his can't, you know, can't care attitude. Um, and then monsters and little flip switches and stuff. And um, I just I feel like little dioramas is a thing is is an art that has been lost to this generation. And I don't want to say it's a good or a bad thing, but I know I had endless hours of fun with Mighty Max. So I think that I hope that they still make them if they do. Um, and if they don't, I think that that is a great loss for our young generation. Question number three, 
How'd you get such sick, strong, sexy legs? <laughs> I love this question. Um, it really came from, uh, I didn't get my learner's permit until I was 22, and I didn't get my driver's license until I was almost 30. So um, if I wanted to go anywhere, I had to walk. And um, I noticed in university that that gave me a very sleek, svelte, uh, muscular tone. Um, couple that with have, using cigarettes as meal replacement. Um, I was skin and bones, and um, it just stuck. Um, I've just I've just always had them stems, you know, and um, and I continue to. I don't have a car again, and so I I walk most places. Um, um, with unless I'm feeling really lazy, in which case I'll take an Evo. But um, but yeah, I I got them legs honestly through through diligence and hard work and not wanting to have a carbon footprint <laughs> um this is a good one question number four what are some nuances on making friends as a neurodivergent person that you experience and this is a big question this is actually one that i want to kind of cover in a in a broader episode but um it, it it's 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 because there's so many facets to the question. Um, because in one direction it's like making friends as a neurodivergent person, and then it's the other side is being friends with a neurodivergent person if you're holistic. Um, and you know, I think as someone who's you know autistic, I I I just encourage people to be as unmasked as they can be. Um, masking is one of the roots of so much autistic trauma and so much autistic burnout. And, and, you know, these masks were created out of a necessity, out of a survival instinct and out of, um, society telling us that we were the unsafe ones, but it actually made us deeply unsafe to be around other people. And, and I find the more that I unmask and the more honest I am about myself and about my needs and about who I, you know, who I am, um, that puts me in a, in a headspace to be safe. Um, and if people can't be around that, that's no comment on either of us. It just means that they don't want to be around that energy. And that's fine because very likely I don't want to be around their energy because if i if i feel the compulsion to mask around someone then it means that i don't feel safe around them and 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 if i unmask and they still don't want to be around me then that's even better um so i just i have to encourage autistic people to just you know be as unmasked as you can be and just be honest and be open um and on the flip side i think for you know holistic listeners i think um Taking the time to learn about autism yourself, um, understanding what that actually means, understanding what saying things like, oh, I wouldn't have even known you're autistic, you know, how hurtful a statement like that is, um, um, you know, things like, oh, you're so high functioning, right? Like, like these are not compliments. Um, and, and so, you know, it's like, it's like saying like, oh, I don't, I don't even care. I don't even care if you're queer. I don't care. You know, like, no, you should care. Actually, that's not a compliment when you say that, right? Um, so I think taking the time to learn about it yourself and not expecting your autistic friends to to educate you on it. 
and coming to your friends with questions, but after having done some research, you know, don't just ask them flat out from zero, go and do some research. And then if you're curious about personal experience with these things, then ask them. And, and as you do that research, it's about leaving space for curiosity. This is another thing that Scott and I work on all the time is uh, a facet of all or nothing thinking is closing off possibility. Because if you, if you shut down and you say it is always this, it is never this, then you don't have to be curious because it can't change. But if you say it might be, it might not be, then suddenly you're leaving the room for possibility. And so staying open and staying curious, I think, is a really valid um, approach to, to anyone, let alone making friends in, with you know, the neurodivergent community. Um, statistically speaking, uh, neurodiver neurodivergent people tend to uh, hang out with mostly just other neurodivergent people. So it's actually very unlikely that uh, you'll have tons of cross crossover um, holistic listeners, but, um, but it's still really important that you educate yourself and that you um, allow room for nuance with the individual. I think those are, are the biggest tenets that I would kind of want to hit on. But uh, as I said, it's a deeper question that I actually want to spend much more time on. So I'm going to kind of file that one away and I'm going to add it to the little guy list. And uh, I'm going to come back to that and uh, talk further on it down the road. But, uh, but thank you. Thank you very much for the question. Uh, number five, do you remember the first thing you wrote that made you go, me likey writing, not me write good? <laughs> I'm re I'm rereading it exactly as written, and I love it so much. They they actually sent a follow up, like me likey this process, and it makes me feel things inside that make me want it do it more, make me want to do it more. Um, <laughs> yes, uh, I do remember that um, because that's one thing is that um, when you do something that channels into a deeper part of you you very likely won't be very good at it at first. And and I know for me, I sucked at writing for years. I still think I suck, but like, I know I don't, but like, there's moments where I'm like, oh my God. But it's about perseverance, right? And um, to me, I think the real shift, I had thought I liked writing for a couple of years and I had been kind of kicking the tires of it. I tried writing songs. I tried writing rhymes. I try. I try emulating people's styles. Um, near the end of university, I was like, I was really into Bob Dylan and Saul Williams. Those were my like two big totems of creativity. Um, which like, don't use either of them as your benchmarks because you will never live up because the the complexity of that language is just like it, that's lightning in a bottle stuff. Um, um, which is okay. That's not a comp comment on my skill. That just means like I'm not going to be able to write a Saul, Saul Williams poem. That doesn't mean I won't be able to write a James Evermeco poem, though. Um, I just create syntax differently. Um, but through that, you know, I I wasn't enjoying myself. I was punishing myself because I wasn't able to write like my heroes. And then I started that daily writing challenge. Um, I sat down, I think it was, it must have been about 2012. Um, I sat down and I challenged myself to write a poem every day for one year. And it was about one week in after I had this epiphany moment where I was like, oh no, this is actually really fun. Every single thing I've written so far is dog shit, but I love 
holding myself accountable to what I say I want to do. And and that's something that really came out of that whole process for me. To to this day, I mean, I continue. I write a poem every single morning um, and have done so for, for you know, 10 years now. Um, and um, I actually, one of the things I was doing to sort of spin away, one of the things I was doing to help myself process through July was I took all the journals that I had filled since moving to Vancouver. So, you know, about a year and a half of journals um, and I read through them all and I sort of processed where I was, where I, where I was now, the thoughts I was thinking at different stages of the last year and a half. And then I started transcribing the stuff that I liked. And I found that I have about four books worth of writing. So, um, you know, all year I'd been telling myself I was incapable of writing a book. Meanwhile, I was writing four books. And so it's it's this comedy of time, right? Is that if 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 I'm not able to sit down and write ten thousand fucking words or whatever dumbass thing it is, uh, I am able to write one page every day, and that still gets me to the same goal. It just gets me there differently, and and that's that's the stuff about the process. It, it, you know, starting that process with this poem a day thing, um, it was slow. It's been incremental. It's been 10 years, you know, and, you know, I have three books out. I have, you know, I've four drafted. I have a few other ones on the back burner. Like I, I have writing, you know, um, and it just it just takes time. And and then as I stuck with it, you know, I started to enjoy some of the stuff I was writing. I do remember the first poem I wrote in that first year that I went, oh, that's actually a poem. And I really liked it. Um, um but, uh, you know, and to this day, like, it, it takes two weeks for me to write w one poem that I like, you know, like, it's, there's 13 pieces of shit that I flip over to every one that I stick with. But, um, but that's, that's what art is. Art isn't perfection out the gate. Art is impulse and following that impulse and finding what the actual root of, of that impulse is. Um, you know, I, one thing that I've been unpacking a lot lately, this just sort of sparked something in my brain. Often, my first reaction will be, you know, something if if it's a if it's an uncomfortable feeling. Let's say I'm feeling anger or 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 um, sadness or fear, right? Um, I will latch on to the thing that's happening in front of me and blame it. It's what you said that is making me angry. It's what you did that's making me sad. Um, when really what's actually happening is impulse of something deeper is guiding me to that feeling. And so it's not actually what this person said to me that's making me mad. It's the memory of something deeper in me that's being brought up by my reaction. And to me, that's art, right? It's, it's not about, or it, it's about looking at the impulse and figuring out where it came from. It's not about just saying the impulse and being done. That's pop music. <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck that's a good one i like that line all right last question of the week number six what is the best emo song of all time now this was asked of me recently in a in a in a similar manner and my answer was welcome to the black parade but i have realized that um to me that's not the best emo song ever um that is far and away my favorite emo song but it's not the best one i think the best emo song 
is You Know How I Do by Taking Back Sunday um, off of Tell All Your Friends. It is not only a fantastic opener song to the album, but it also is so encapsulating of everything that I think of when I think of emo music. There's the sort of like logical rhetoric of angry autistics, like trying to explain emotions. There's also a very healthy dose of uh, white middle-class uh, uh, misogyny uh, <laughs> um, um, and screaming. Um, so I think that uh, those are my parameters. I really like all those um, in that song. I think that's my answer. But uh, ask me in another week and I'll probably give you another answer. But those are all the questions for the week. Thank you so much for everybody who wrote in. I love those so much. If you have a question, as I said, find me on Instagram. You'll see the little sticky note. Just send, it, send a question in and uh, I'll try to answer it in a future episode. But that is everything that I had planned for the week. So I'm going to wrap that up here. Thank you so much for listening through to the end. Um, if you are hearing this when it comes out, wish me a happy birthday. Be nice to me. It's my birthday. <laughs> I'm old, okay? <laughs> um, uh, please don't forget to uh, rate and review this episode. Pull out your phone. Give it a five star. Say something nice in the comments. Um reviews help push the show up the algorithm the algorithm rules all and it helps me out so much um, if you want more friendless content please sign up for the sub stack uh, as i talked about in the episode there's tons of content coming down the pipeline um, and there's going to be some exclusive writing that i'm going to start putting out starting next week for the paid tier as well so lots of good stuff coming links are in the show notes please do sign up but um that is it. I'm going back on hiatus for a couple weeks while I get all these interviews rounded up. and um, But I will be back in September with season six of Friendless. So stay tuned. Until then, have yourselves a wonderful time. I hope to catch you back here when I am back. But I'm not going to worry about that now. And neither should you. Why? Because that is then. And this is now. So for now, I'll just say I love you. And I wish you well. Fun and safety, sweeties. <laughs>